Hey, this is Kenneth Capital. Ah, you know who it is. I'm just here to help you pass the 63 and the 66. You know who I am already, so I'm not going to get into that. So one of the big things that is big about this test, big things big, I say the words a lot, uh, for the 63 and the 66 exam, probably the 65, are ethics and prohibited activities. Everyone has trouble with it. It's not so bad. Um, if you don't read it, you're screwed. But a lot of people are like, oh, it's common sense. And a lot of it is, but not all of it. So let's get into that. We're going to start off with this. As an investment advisor, as opposed to a broker-dealer, you, you, as, as an advisor, investment advisor rep or advisor, you are held to a higher standard called a fiduciary standard, which means you have to do what's best for your client always, always. You always have to do what's best for your client, even if it hurts you. Now, with the introduction of Reg BI a couple of years ago, the broker-dealers are kind of on the same standard, but it's not exactly the same. The IA, literally, they get in trouble if they don't do all the due diligence to find out what's always best for their client. So one of the things that people try to do unscrupulous is they try to create a hedge clause or an exculpatory clause. Hedge clause is like, hey, don't blame me for the shit that goes on. So you can't really do that. You can, you they allow some hedge clauses. Like you can say, you can't blame me for war or mark, how market fluctuations, stuff like that. But you can never get out of the fact that you're going to waive your rights as a as a client. So on that note, like broker dealers allow for arbitration, but investment advisors don't. So arbitration is for like when you have a, a person sitting there, not court, deciding your fate, and it's usually binding. Broker dealers allow it under FINRA and all that, but NASA with the IAs cannot use arbitration because they believe that that's waiving your right to complain or your rights. So usually a hedge clause, usually it's a no-no, unless it's like a very limited hedge clause, like you can't blame us for shit outside our control. And as part of that fiduciary responsibility as an IA, you have to disclose all the fees that you're getting, okay? You're going to have to disclose basically how you do the compensation, what you came up with, what happens if like in the contract, it'll say, oh, what happens if I leave early due to lack of performance or whatever it is? What prepaid fees will be refunded? Stuff like that. Are we going to get paid by, by the hour, by the project, performance-based fees, all that stuff? Or if I get any compensation from stuff like say, I refer you insurance person and you get insurance. If I get a rebate or something, or if I put you in a music fund, do I get a 12B1 fee? All that has to be disclosed. Now we've talked about it before, but the performance-based fee. So normally the rule is investment advisors cannot get performance-based fees or capital gains, but unless the, unless the client is what they call a qualified client, a qualified client, rich people, has at least 2.2 net worth, 2.2 million net worth, or 1.1 assets under management with you, then they can do a performance-based fee. They have to be that. And usually it's with a fulcrum fee, which means we base it on an index, a relative index. I can't put you in equities and put you with a muni index because that's not fair. A reasonable index that's correlated to what their portfolio is. And they can say, listen, if we beat the index by this much, we charge this. If we beat it by that, we charge this. If we beat it by less, we charge less. That's the only time that you can almost have like a fee that changes with your performance, and that's called the fulcrum fee, but that's al usually alongside a performance-based fee. Again, IAs can only do that for um, with qualified clients. Now, let's jump to the broker-dealer. Agents can share in the profits and losses of an account only if it's a joint account and everyone gives permission. It has to be a joint account between the rep and the client, and they have to give permission, then they can um, share in the profits and losses. So one of the things that pops up a lot is, can you pay, can an advisor pay someone Cash referral fees. Yes, as long as certain things are met. Like one, the person they're paying has to be registered. 
Two, they can't be statutory disqualified, which kind of goes with the thing. And three, it has to be a written agreement. So you can pay cash as long as there's a written agreement, spelling it all out, baby, spelling it all out. So I'm going to stick with the cash for one more thing. Hopefully one more thing. So soft dollar is like a, it's like a loophole for broker dealers to get paid for doing services. Because as a broker dealer, I can't, I can't do a service for you and you pay for me unless it's a transaction. Like, like a commission, markup, markdown, fees for transactions. But they found a loophole called soft dollars as opposed to hard dollars, right? Hard, soft. Okay, now, um, soft dollars are this. I can pay, as a broker dealer, you're my IA. What I can do to get generate some business, I can pay for your ticket to a seminar. Or I can pay for research for you. Or I can pay for, um, God, I can't think of it, software. Software, seminars, and research. Those are the three things I can pay. That's called safe harbor. So if you hear safe harbor on this exam, they're talking about soft dollars, okay? So now the soft dollars are basically what I'm going to do. It's pretty easy. I pay $20,000 for your ticket to a seminar that is for you to invest. It can't be just feel like Comic-Con. It has to be something or whatever you want to, whatever kind of orange convection or something. But it has to be something, well, unless you're investing in one of those, Vivid or something. Not that I know. Um... It, if it's to help you invest, then then we can pay for it. What we'll do is I'll pay you. That was a tangent, right? So I'll pay 20 grand to this ticket to a seminar. You'll go, and then you now owe me 20 grand. But you can't write me a check for it, so we have to find a loophole. Here's the loophole. Nice little butterfly or moth. Hey, there we go. Like the bee visit. Okay, now, hope it doesn't say me. Um, I'm going to pay for it. You owe me 20 grand. So I normally charge you a penny a share. That's my deal. I should charge you a penny. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, no, 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 no more. I'm now going to charge you two cents a share for every trade you do. And then every trade you do with me, you're going to pay me two cents. One penny goes toward my pocket. The other penny goes to pay me back for the 20 grand you owe. And then once you've paid me 20 grand in commission or 40, technically 20 of it toward what you owe me, then I go, okay, we're done. But somehow I'll find another thing to pay for you. So I keep this cycle going. So it is a loophole as a way for IAs to pay for services for um, for a broker dealer to perform for them. And I can't speak. So they're allowing this to happen. The SEC is okay with this. A lot of documentation. It's really ripe for abuse. So think about it. What we can't do, we can't pay for a salary. We can't pay for compliance systems. We can't pay for your hardware, your rent, stuff like that. We can't even pay for your travel to the seminar. Seminar but we can pay for your tickets there. But the way we do that is we go to the seminar too and we go out for dinner. That's considered entertainment. So that's soft dollar. Okay, so another part of this is that you can't make, this. And some of this shit just makes sense. You can't make false and, misle false and misleading statements. Like you can't say that um, we've been approved. If somebody asks, are you registered? You can just say yes. You can't do it to even to imply that the regulator approves of you. So one of the questions I might've gotten was like, what can they say about your um, about your registration? And it says, we're lawfully allowed to sell shares, or you can say the regulator has not ascertained the merit of the securities or the person selling them. So they're really the cover your ass comment. You can't make any recommendations, any kind of intimations that they've approved you or they, they endorse you at all. And that's somebody got a question where, they had a boat, they did a seminar on a boat, and you thought, oh, wait, what state is going to have jurisdiction? But it wasn't that. On the bottom of the sign, it said the administrator of whatever state, say South Carolina, endorsed this or not promotes this or endorses this seminar. And that's not okay. It's the endorse part. You can't promise to do service that you can't that you're not actually going to be going to be able to do. Like, 
I can't say I'm going to meet you every morning at 10 a.m. to discuss your plan. It's not a possible. You're not going to do that. She can't do that. You can't promise free services. Like, you can't say, oh, listen, um, I'm going to do this if you do that. Like, it can't. you can have free. The word free is like a fucking bell, okay? It better, if, if you say something free, it better be 100% free. No strings attached. Like, you can't say, oh, I'll do this free if you give me three names for referrals. Or I'll do this free if you come and make sure you sit through my seminar and you get a free lunch. There's a big thing on free lunch seminars where IAs and agents used to try to bring people in. Say you got to sit. If you want to get this free food, you have to sit through this um, presentation for two hours. You have you can't say, oh, we think it's going to be. You can't say stuff like, oh, we think the earnings is going to be up. You can't like make that a statement. You can say we have target prices and stuff like that. And we, we can't say anything about the earnings. You can't state that, oh, you think something's going to be listed without any actual proof it's going to happen. You have to fairly tell them what the commission and markup is. You can't lie. And you can't lie in someone's account. Like somebody got a question that said, your client is in the hospital from a heart attack. And he they called, the daughter calls up and says, my dad here wants to know how his account's doing here. The market's not doing well, or whatever it was. And you and you see the his account is down like 15%. And you're afraid it would hurt him. You still have to tell the truth. Let the guy die. No, kidding. You just have to tell the truth. You can't lie, even if it's for a good reason. Again, you can't say something's been approved by a regulator. That's one. You can't say something's going to be listed without actual proof. You can't use inflated language like this is guaranteed, only, never, will. You can never use definitive statements like something's going to happen when you're not sure. You can't give inaccurate quotes. So some of the books say that, oh, if you're on a golf course and somebody asks you what a price is, well, literally, why would they do that? Well, can they just go on Google? But it's the thing. You can't call that you can't get called up and say, Oh, you saw the price an hour ago, and you say, Listen, I call you up and say, Hey, what's the price of the stock? You can't come back to me and say, Oh, an hour ago is at this. No, you have to say, I saw it an hour ago. Let me check and I'll get back to you. You might be able to say, Oh, is it 42 an hour ago? Let me check and I'll get you the right price. That's probably okay, but you can't say, Oh, 20 minutes ago is this. Even if it's a truth, you don't know what happened in the last 20 minutes. So you can't do that. You cannot give false information like you can't say a b shares or a no load well you can't say a say uh, a c shares or a no load a no load has specific rules that it can't be more than 0.25 12b1 feet can't be more than 2.25 percent uh, i am just stuttering because i'm tired you can't spread rumors to get transactions you can't say oh i think it's you know oh i think there's a takeover i think elon musk gonna take over twitter that happened but you can't say stuff like that you can't do that spreading rumors to get people to buy shit is bad selling a dividend you can't sell a dividend what does that mean so remember when you get a dividend if they announce a dividend they're going to pay a dividend on the record date you have to be an owner of record you should know this by now if you buy it before the x day then you get the dividend if you buy it on the x day you don't get the dividend because x means without so you, reps used to try to get people to hurry up and buy it before the x day so that they get the dividend that's selling a dividend it's actually disingenuous because in reality if you buy it before the x day you pay one price if you buy it on the X day or after, you pay a price minus what the dividend was. So there's no real difference. But but um, you actually pay taxes on the dividend. So it's actually worse to get the dividend. So if you want to buy the stock for a reason, because you like it, that's one thing. But if you buy it, if they convince you, the rep tries to get you to buy it before the X day to get the dividend, that's kind of disingenuous. That's called selling a dividend. Not okay. You cannot omit material facts. Key factor here. You cannot omit material facts. You can leave out immaterial facts, but you cannot take out material facts. Material facts 
are not specifically designed defined like here's a list of them it's really just what a what an investor would need to know to make a decision and you can't leave stuff out and say oh something changed you cannot leave stuff out that would help them make a decision you cannot use inside information we know that right you cannot use inside information and remember the tipper the person who tells it and the tippy both get in trouble the whole chain so remember sharing the inside information is prohibited well let's make it very clear having inside information is not the violation Talking about inside information isn't the violation. You'll get in trouble, but I mean, you get fired for that. But the actual violation is when they use it in either trade or don't trade based on inside information. So just don't fucking share it. Okay. You cannot make unsuitable recommendations. That's an actual pro prohibition. You cannot make recommendations that are in excessive size to what the client can handle. You can't omit details about risk. You cannot churn. What is churning? Excessive trading. Now, on that note, churning, when they look at churning, they look at everything the character of the account which is all the features of it, the financial, the, the financials, the, what the, boy, I can't think of the word, what the, what they want to happen. I can't think of the word. You're probably saying it and yelling at me like they're what they want to happen. I can't think of the word. I'm going to pause this and try to come up with a word. I can't think of the word, but it's going to be a like goal. So you have to look at when you determine what a, a account is suitable, you look at the financial status, the needs, the object, ah, the objectives, there the word, willingness to assume risk, stuff like that. And, and what they're willing to do. You also have to look at the character, which is all of that together. And that's going to tell you what you can do. So churning does not look at gain or loss. Remember that. If you are looking into someone who's churning an account, the one thing that doesn't matter is whether they made money or not. It made money or not. It has no bearing on anything. You cannot commingle client and firm securities. That is co-commingling. You cannot do that, okay? You cannot put client and firm securities together. Yes, if they used to have vaults. If you have this shit in the same vault, but clearly separated, it's okay. You cannot put them together. You have to segregate them because they're afraid that broker-dealers might misuse the customer funds. God forbid they do that, okay? You can't convert client cash and securities. That means when an agent puts it in their own pocket, okay? They put it in their own pocket for their own use. They can't do that. That's a no-no. Borrowing lending. Okay, so a lot of books go different in this, but we're going to go with the deal. Agents nor IARs can borrow or lend from customers. Boom. No family members, no nothing, but here's the deal. They can borrow from lending institutions or affiliates of the firm. That's it. So agents and IARs cannot lend customers. Now, if your family member is not a customer or your friend's not a customer, nobody cares. Okay? This is literally... If, you, if it's a client and you want to lend or borrow money from them, you cannot lend them money. The only time that this lending or borrowing is allowed is if it's a lending institution, although I still can't figure out how you would lend money to a lending institution unless they made a bond. But borrowing from a lending institution is okay. Like if your client is Bank America and you get a mortgage or a car loan from Bank America or a credit card from Bank America, that's fine. That's what they do as a living, okay? Um, or an affiliate of the firm, either your broker dealer or IA. That's okay. But keep in mind, Broker-dealers can lend to customers. What? Margin. They can use margin under Reg T. They can follow Reg T, and they can lend to customers under certain rules. Reg T. I've talked about it already. We can share in the profits and losses of account if we have a joint account, and it's approved by everyone in, in, involved. Can you guarantee a, a client a profit? No. You cannot guarantee a minimum rate of return. You cannot guarantee dividends, anything. You cannot guarantee anything. The only time that interest, dividends, and principal can be guaranteed is by the issuer, okay? If you get a written customer complaint, you must notify your supervisor, then they have to handle it, okay? 
If you get a written customer complaint, you must notify your supervisor and they have to handle it. You cannot ignore or respond to a complaint. You have to do something. Market manipulation. Let's, let's move in the stocks. Let's move in shit for your own good. Front running, borderline. It's jumping in front of a customer. So you get a customer order to buy or sell or to buy, and you buy it in front of them before, when you are in possession of an order or you know it's coming. Um, if they, if you have a sell order coming in or it's going to come in and you hear it, that's you selling ahead of them. Now, remember, you also can't, like if you see an order to buy, you can't buy the stock, you can't buy options, you can't do anything. You're using their information to make money. You can't do that. Um, shadowing is basically just executing a trade right after a client does. It's like just, just you can't do that either. You can't just buy or sell whatever the client does right after them. Painting the tape. That's basically a, maybe one person, two people, three people. Buying and selling securities literally just to make it look like it's more there's more volume and more attractive. Okay, painting the tape. You're painting the tape. Wash trades, trading pools, they all go together where you're trying to make it look like there's more trades than there normally are to make it more attractive so people will buy it or to trick the algorithms. Okay, trading ahead is the same thing as front running. In the books, they try to separate it. On the test, they're the same fucking thing. Trading ahead and front running is buying in front of a customer order or selling in front of a customer order, or if you get it, if you're in possession of a research report and you buy or sell shares before that research is publicized. Selling away. So private security transactions are when you do trades off the books and records of the broker. Even if you have like a, if you work, if you have a dual registration, which is only allowed with affiliated broker dealers, but, or firms, if you, if you have a registration at another firm or you have trades, that you're doing not on the books and records of the firm, that's selling away. So private security transactions are trades done off the books and records of the broker dealers with permission from the broker dealer. If you if you do without permission, it's called selling away, and that's a violation. So private security transactions are always when you do trades away from the broker dealer. If you have permission, that's all it is. If it's not permission, permission, prior permission, it's called selling away. If a client calls you up and says, buy this, and it's a piece of shit company, and you say, he's an idiot, I'm not doing that, and you save him money, you're still in trouble. You cannot fail to follow client's instructions. Unknowingly, fine. You forgot, whatever. But you, even if they buy a piece of the worst company ever, like buy 100,000 shares of International Buggy Whip, and you go, screw him, he's, he's an idiot, and you wait till the next day, and it's down 20 bucks, and you save them all this money, you're still in trouble because you're supposed to listen to them. You can, okay? You can try to convince them not to do it and make them sign a thing saying it's unsolicited and tell your principal, but if they say to do it, you got to do it. And you can't even delay it like, oh, I'm going to wait an hour. Nope, they give you an order. You got to do it. You cannot solicit unregistered non-exempt securities, right? Because soliciting means it's non-exempt. Unregistered non-exempt. Because always remember, if you want to sell security in a state, one of three things has to happen. It either has to be an exempt transaction, an exempt security, or registered. One of those things has to be a yes. One of those three things has to be a yes. So if you solicit for an unregistered non-exempt security, that means you're doing a non-exempt transaction, which means it's a no good. Okay. If somebody buys a security where they're owed a prospectus, you must deliver a final prospectus. So if you want to, if you're going to entitled to a prospectus, which means you have bought it within the first 90 days of the effective day for an over-the-counter IPO, the first 40 days of the effective date of an over-the-counter additional offering, or the first 25 days of a stock exchange IPO, then you must get a prospectus, and it has to be there by completion of the trade, which is 
settlement or when the confirmations do or T plus two. That's literally what it is. Okay, if you're an underwriter and you're part of an IPO, you cannot withhold shares. They call it free riding withholding. You cannot withhold shares that you think is going to be a good deal and hold them back and go, ooh, I'm going to make some money. You, you have to make a bona fide or bona fide, whatever they say, a bona fide effort to sell all the shares. You cannot hold them back. You cannot delay payment of cash or securities. You cannot. It is absolutely a violation for a broker dealer to delay payment, okay? So like say we have a free credit balance. I'm a stutterer, a free credit balance. And that's just cash in the account. If the customer wants it, you have to send it immediately or right within the reason. You cannot delay payment. You cannot execute orders at unfair prices. That's really hard to do with exchange listed, but things over the counter may be a little fuzzy. So you may not be able to, so I use the word fuzzy all the time right now. So it's my, I guess my new keyword, my new buzzword. Um, the whole point is you can't do the, do, um, do the trades outside their normal range. They have to be at fair prices. Think about it this way, fair prices. If I say, oh, I'm going to do it at 42, I better have a reason for that. And again, exchange listed active is not really a thing. It's when it's over the counter and there's only like one or two market makers there or like it's a very wide market, an inefficient market. It might be harder to determine a fair price. And that's where the broker dealers can really take advantage of you. So make sure you do everything at a fair price. You always have to disclose control relationships. So if you have a control relationship, Say I'm telling you to buy a bond from this town, but I don't tell you that I'm on the council or my brother's on the council or my kid or my dad or somebody I'm related to is on the town council of that. I can do it. It's a conflict of interest. I have to disclose it. Another one is like if I work for Merrill Lynch and I tell you to buy Bank America stock or I work for J.P. Morgan and I tell you to buy J.P. Morgan stock, I have to disclose it even if I think it's public knowledge. That's another thing. Any kind of material information or conflicts, even if I say, oh, I work for Merrill and I assume you know that Bank of America owns Merrill Lynch, I have to tell you that there's a conflict of interest. Conflicts of interest are not inherent like a violation. Failure to tell people about them absolutely is a violation. Okay, so here, take a screenshot of this and look at this. These are the conflicts of interest. On the left side are the ones you can do, but you have to disclose. And the ones on the right side are that you can't do. These are problems that these are conflicts of interest that are too much, so you cannot do these actions. Okay, discretion. What is discretion? A discretion is when the rep can do trades on your behalf without telling you ahead of time. They have to send a confirm when it gets here within the two days, but they have to just they have to disclose it at some point. But discretion means they can do it without getting permission ahead of time. You have to give them that permission on a blanket level. So. If I go to you, you're my broker dealer, you're my agent. I say, I'm going to let you do trades on me. I'm going to give you discretion. That means you, the agent, can choose more than just time and price. You can choose buy or sell. You can choose the amount and you can choose the security. So I can say, listen, I like the bank stocks. And if you have discretion, you can pick a bank stock that you like and buy it. Now, as far as that discretion goes, there's two levels. There's limited and full. Limited, limited means you can only, you can only do trades. Full means you can do trades and touch the money, pay bills, withdraw your fees, stuff like that. But let's go back to this. If you only choose what price and the time, then you don't need discretion. If you choose anything more than that, then you need discretion. If you're an IA or an IAR, you can get verbal, oral, up to, I'm not going to say anything. You can get a verbal discretion for up to 10 days. And then after the 10th day, you need it in writing or the discretion ends. On the agent broker dealer side, you need the discretion in writing up front. You have to have 
discretion in your hand up front. So if I call you up and say, hey, hey, go do me a favor, watch my account for me on vacation. I mailed the discretion of the power of attorney. Well, until until you get it, you can't do anything. Even if I say, you know, something's going to happen. You better call me up and get permission to do the trade. Because if you you can't do the trade unless you have it in writing, IAs can oral or Earl, who's Earl, oral or um, broker deals have to have it in writing ahead of time. Here's one that I think just I mean, it just makes sense. I don't even know why they even have to say it. But I guess you have to say, you know, we say cautions in a coffee cup may be hot or don't drink bleach. Um, you can't use the client's password and username. You have to use your own. So if I'm a client and I want you to look at my account, I can't give you my username. I would have to create one for you. Here's a couple of reasons. One, they say it could break the, the terms of agreement. But I'm saying, then you can do trades and say it was me. I'll never know. I mean, I'll know, but there's no way to prove it because you're letting me log in. I'm letting you log in to my account. So that could be really bad. If you let someone else use your username and password, the reps shouldn't ever do it. The IA should never, the IAR should never do it because one, it violates the terms of service. And two, it opens yourself up to fraud charges because we don't know if you place a trade or they place a trade. Since we're talking about discretion, let's bring up a little thing. There's a called the prudent investor rule. So it used to be every when you had guardians and custodian accounts, there were lists, state lists of securities you can buy, and that was it. So they got rid of that because they thought it was unfair. So they came up with the UPIA, the Uniform Prudent Investor Act. It's like saying that the IAs and the agents, if they're going to have discretion and all that, they have to do what a prudent man would do. They have to, a prudent man or woman, they would have to do what's right. So you have to do what's reasonable. And that's the thing. You have to make sure what you're doing is reasonable and making sure you look at you look at everything about it. You have to a standard of prudence. You have to make sure that you're 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 managing the risk between risk and return. Managing the balance between risk and return. I can't do that. Okay. Diversification is big. Okay. But make sure um, you have to make sure you take care. You have to make sure you balance risk and reward, and you have to make sure you diversify because that's a good thing. Okay. Now you can delegate investment stuff. So if you're a trustee. You can delegate your investment decision to someone who is better at it, okay? So if you're just a trustee, like a lawyer, or somehow you got suckered into be a trustee for account, you can actually <clears throat> delegate an investment advisor or a rep to out to do the investment decisions on the account. Used to not be allowed, now you can. You have to keep client information confidential at all times. The, unless the IRS, the administrator, the SEC, FINRA, or a subpoena demands access to the information, you have to keep it you have to keep it confidential. Even as much as if I know that you're if I know as a client that you have my brother as a client. If I'm a person, you uh, my brother is a client of yours. If I just say, hey, I heard you're my you're my brother's rep, you have to say, I don't know, ask him. So you can't give out the information at of at any time. If you're gonna give a list of past recommendations, okay? If you're gonna give a list of past recommendations, you have to give at least one year and you can't cherry pick. You have to give all of them, all the good ones and the bad ones. So you cannot give out less than a year's worth of recommendations. And you have to choose, you have to show all of them, not a top 10, anything. You have to show all your recommendations, good or bad. And you have to show what the market was doing at that time. Third-party research, using someone else's research. So this is interesting, right? So if I give you someone else's research, I cannot act like it's mine. I have to let you know that it's not mine, it's third party. But if I use that research to make a recommendation, but I don't give it to you, I don't have to tell you shit. So I'll say that again. If I give you research and it's not mine, I have to tell you. 
if I use research to make a recommendation to you, I don't have to tell you shit. Okay, on the IA side, remember this. So I can donate to people. I'd like to say, I like somebody running for governor or state senator, whatever it is. I can uh, contribute to their campaign. So I'm allowed to give up to 350 per election if I can vote for them and 150 per election if I can't. Now, what does that mean per election? So per election means primary is one election, general is another. So really, I can give probably 700. 350 for the primary, another 350 for the actual general election. But again, it's 350 for someone I can vote for, like my mayor, my state senator, stuff like that, and only 150 for someone you can't. What happens if you violate that? Well, then you can't do business. <clears throat> you can't do negotiated deals with that state or that area or that town or sector for two years if you violate. It's not a crime. It's just you can't do it. And if you do it, you just can't do business for the next with them for two years. Okay, so I'm going to generalize this here. IAs have to keep records for five years. Broker dealers have to keep records for three years. Both have to keep it two for first two years readily available, which means in the office. And then if it's broke, if it's like formation documents, like articles of incorporation, board minutes, partnership agreements for the actual broker deal, all right, that's lifetime plus three years. So if the firm shuts down, so say you have lifetime records and you hold it for the lifetime and then the firm shuts down, you must keep the records for another three years. Principal trade. A principal trade is when you use your own inventory to affect a trade. So if I'm a customer, I come to buy from you, you sell it to me out of my inventory, out of your inventory. If you sell to me, if I if I come into a sell, I'm just stuttering. If I come into sell and you buy it into your inventory using your own money, that's a principal trade. Since you're an advisor and you're doing the opposite side of what I do, basically I'm selling and you're buying, we're opposite. You have to disclose that to me. You have to disclose that to me so I know. Same thing with an agency cross. What's an agency cross? An agency cross is, <clears throat> I get, I'm, I say I'm the rep this time or I'm the IAR, okay? I get a seller comes in, wants to sell 100,000 IBM and go, oh, you know what? John wanted to buy it. So I go to John and say, you want to you buy some IBM? I have a seller. So then you do the cross. I charge a commission on both sides. If I do that, I have to disclose. One, first of all, it can't both sides be solicited. One of them has to come in and unsolicited, or I would just create trades all day long. The other thing is I have to disclose to you both a written disclosure that there are conflicts, and I have to tell you all that that I did it, and there's a cross, and I'm charging a commission or a principal. I guess it's an agency gross trade. I'm charging a commission on both sides, but I have to let you know that you're doing it and both sides have to be okay with it. And I'm not sure if this is testable, but every year you have to send your clients a list of all the cross transactions that you did. Uh, now on that note, broker dealers don't have to disclose that stuff. They will do it on the confirm, but they don't have to do it ahead of time because that's literally what broker dealers do. They do crosses and principal trades all day long. But let's say you're an access person. What is an access person? It's someone who has access to client accounts or, or this is an add-on, if you are a partner, officer, director, or an IAR of a firm that their primary business is advising, all of those people are access people. What does that mean? An access person means that you have access to client information and they're worried that you're going to do some crazy shit with that information. So you have to submit a personal securities holdings report when you become an access person and then every year after that, every year. You also have to do a quarterly transaction report. I always want to say quarterly transaction report every quarter, but I'm not going to say it this time even though I just did it. A quarterly transaction report every quarter. I just did it again. Every quarter you have to disclose it. It's going to be all your transactions for the previous quarter. If I say quarter one more time, I'm going to knock my head off.
You're also going to want to make sure that you're cyber ready because that's a big, you know, there's phishing and spoofing and all the crazy words where somebody can hack your account. So they don't tell you what you have to do, but they give you some ideas of what they want you to do. They want you to make sure that there's written procedures and training programs to safeguard client information. They want to know if they would like to have insurance, okay? Um, they would like you to have cyber insur security insurance. They want to make sure that you have, if you've ever had a loss already, <clears throat> and they want to know what, so really think about this way. The plan has to be, you have to have a plan to stop it. You have to have a plan in case it happens. They want to know if you have insurance and they want to know what kind of safeguards you have. Do you do like two-factor authorization or encryption, stuff like that, all these little things that may help when they log in. They want to see stuff like that. They will not tell you what you have to do, but the way they work it is they tell you what they'd like you to do is what they want you to affect. And then if you don't do it, they nail you, they ding you for a fine. So now remember, social media is really risky because it's a little fuzzy. I use that word, see? So they have a thing that <clears throat> if it's interactive, well, let's go with static. So if it's static, which means you can put a post up and it can't be changed, then they have to be pre-approved. If it's interactive, they can, um, they usually review it after the fact. But the thing is, this is one thing you have to understand, that they don't like endorsements, right? If you can, under certain situations, and I've done a video on this, you can find it somewhere, you can do endorsements, okay? You can do endorsements under certain situations, but you have to disclose a lot of shit. I'm not going to get into it. That's on another video. But if you have a, a Facebook, or I guess it's not Twitter, it's X, or Instagram or something, technically, if they like or re, if somebody re, likes or reshares a post of yours, or you like or repost something, that is considered, could be an endorsement or testimonial. Now, let's talk about that for a second. If somebody makes a post on a third-party website that you don't have control of, and they endorse you, that's not your problem. But if you like it, retweet it, or re-exit, whatever you're going to call it, or, or endorse it, or, or take a capture of it and put it on your website, that's called adoption, and it has to meet your firm social media and communications guidelines. However, if you're involved in helping someone write that thing, you go, oh, it's not mine, that's called entanglement. Adoption is when somebody posts it on a third party, and you go, oh, I like that, you like it, repost it, reshare it, whatever, or take it, that's adoption, and it has to meet the communication guidelines. Entanglement is usually if you help somebody write it and you go, oh, it wasn't me, it was a third party, but you actually wrote it, that's a problem, that's a violation. Moving on a little bit. So there's, the, just to finish this up a little bit, there's unethical and then there's fraudulent, okay? Unethical is civil, okay? Not Jail is not on the time. If you say the word unintentional, unknowing, stuff like that, that's not, that's not fraud, that's unethical. You still get in trouble, but jail is not on the time. You can be sued and all that, and you can be revoked, suspend, denied, but you can't go to jail. Unethical means not criminal. If you see intentional, willful, fraudulent, that's to the level of criminal, and you could go to jail. Okay, remember, unethical, they're not going to give you a list of things that are unethical and say, are these fraudulent enough? They shouldn't do that. The other part of this is, if it's criminal, there are rules. Prevent. Now, these seem light, the punishments, but it's prevent. So if you do like 30 trades, this is per trade. So if it's a if it's a criminal act under the USA, now remember the administrator can't come after you for criminal. They have to forward it to the courts and the cops to do that, but they will. If we if you if you are doing a criminal if you get convicted of a criminal act, it's I call it the three five ten rule. Three five ten. I can't do it. three five ten rule. So it's three years in jail or five thousand dollar fine for under, violations under the USA, and five years in jail or ten thousand dollar fine for federal. So three, five, ten. So if it's a viol, if the criminal, this is criminal only. If it's criminal, 
if it's criminal, under the USA Act, it's three years in jail or $5,000 fine. And under SEC or federal, it's five years in jail or a $10,000 fine per offense. So they can nail you for 20 or 30 events. And there you go. That's a long time. I think that should give you a little idea of what's on the, on the chapters. Read the chapter. It's important. I can't stress this enough that on the 63, this would be a lot of questions. You can even go, don't just go my video. It's literally a supplement just to explain some of the bigger stuff. You need to read this stuff. Don't worry about the rule numbers. Just get the stuff down. Understand it. Let's get on this. Remember, it's it's about, on the 63, it's probably 20, 30% of the test. So this is no joke, okay? Also, don't forget every Tuesday and Thursday night, I do a live Q&A for free for all exams. I'll see you on the other side. Go wash your hands. You'll be good.